It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's an MLB Draft Wednesday, and Wake Forest University might not only have the number one overall pick in Nick Kurtz, they might have five first-round picks. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked On MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're proudly part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers join today and you'll get $150 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started. So one of the bits of feedback we got when we did the listener survey the end of last season, last November and December, was you guys wanted a little bit more MLB draft talk than we did during the years. Trying to strike a balance. But ultimately, the goal here for me on this show is to give the people what they want. So we're going to talk about Wake Forest baseball. I don't plan to do an entire show on one college team at any point in time this year, except for this, because this one's a bit unique because Wake Forest is in a unique position of they realistically could have five first round picks in the 2024 MLB draft. And it all starts at the very top with first baseman Nick Kurtz. Uh, He is a candidate to be number one overall. Right now, just about every single draft board has that as a three-man race between Jay Weatherholt, the middle infielder from West Virginia, Travis Bazana, the middle infielder from Oregon State, and then Nick Kurtz. Now, last year, Nick Kurtz had an absurd year, right? 56 games. And I'm going to give these slash lines. Remember, college slash lines are even more dumb than sometimes you see in in minor league baseball. But Nick Kurtz went 353, 527, 784. I told you these are really dumb slash lines in college. 24 home runs, 34 extra base hits, 63 walks to 50 strikeouts, and 5 of 5 on stolen bases. And when you talk about guys who could go number 1 overall, you need to be that guy needs to be exceptionally good at almost everything. Think back to some of the number 1 and number 2, the very very high picks you've seen in recent drafts. Whether it was Dylan Cruz at number 2 last year, even but you know behind that like looking at Adley Rutschman number 1 overall, things like that. It's guys that can do If they can't do everything, then they can do a few things very well. Nick Kurtz gets a lot of, like, probably gets a lot of recognition for having one of the best power ceilings, if not the best power ceiling in this entire draft. Those of you watching on YouTube, my apologies for the frame rate. It's ridiculous right now. I don't quite know what's going on. I'll get that 
hopefully figured out soon. But, okay, so the power for Nick Kurtz. You have to understand that when you look at college exit velocities, you are looking at guys who are hitting with metal or composite bats. So it's not exactly the same as a wood bat. And we don't traditionally have a just a simple and easy rule to convert a metal bat exit below to a wood bat exit below. And side note, you do see some teams that really like taking players, I'm thinking Cleveland Guardians here, really like taking players who perform on the Cape Cod League because in the Cape Cod League, they use wood bats and they've got track man and all that stuff. So you have a really good idea of how that guy does with a wood bat. But Nick Kurtz had a 90th percentile exit velocity in 2023 with a metal or composite bat of 108.9 miles an hour. If you assume that he loses a couple ticks off of that on the conversion to wood, right? Three miles an hour. That's a, it's just a random number by me. I don't know exactly what that adjustment is. If you assume he loses three miles an hour off of that, you're still looking at 105.9, which is still significantly above MLB average of 103 and change. So I'm not like... I feel like the power is real. And a lot of the scouting reports talk about that. They give him a 65 grade power or a 70 grade power. What really helps is the approach is very good. Nick Kurtz doesn't chase a ton. So it's low chase. He doesn't really have platoon splits. He hits both lefties and righties. Just, you know, just about the same. And the power is definitely the carrying tool. But the hit tool is also really good as well. And He's a pretty good defensive first baseman. He's not perfect. It is first base, but there is still value in being defensively sound at first base. The arm is fine. I think the only thing that really, the arm is average, so that's not a tool there. Sorry, that's not a plus tool if you're talking about five tool players. And the just the speed, five of five on stolen bases, it's probably 40 grade or so. So you're looking at three of five tools, but that's still... The two tools that you really care about in this scenario, the hit tool and the power tool, are both somewhere between plus and elite. So Nick Kurtz is going to go high in the draft, whether it's number one overall or somewhere else. We're not 100% sure. And then from there's a lot of questions about who might be that number two pick in the draft out of or that second pick out of Wake Forest in the first round. I'm going to stay with position players. And we're going to talk about an outfielder, Seaver King. And I say it like that because we don't quite know where he's going to play. And I think figuring that out this year will be important for him to solidify a first round spot. But he's got two seasons at Wingate before he transferred up to Wake Forest for this season. So obviously he's also going to have to perform in the Power Five and in the ACC. But for Seaver King, his first 89 career games, 399, 454, 676 slugging, 15 homers, 61 extra base hits, 30 walks to 44 strikeouts, 20 to 21 on stolen bases. The approach, I'm really curious to see what Seaver King's approach does in 2024, because when you go back and you watch himself, and I actually got a chance to see a Wingate game last year, believe it or not. It's not an incredibly huge sample size, but uh, he is a guy who liked to swing a lot, and he did chase at times. 
And he's got really good contacts, somewhere between above average and plus. So that it, it worked, right? Career 399 hitter in his first two seasons. But what it's it, this is similar to a minor leaguer who dominated single A or maybe high A, and he's moving to double A. Can this approach maintain when he faces better pitching that theoretically is going to be better velocity, better movement on breaking pitches, better able to hit the edges of the zone, to have good enough command and control to uh, put the ball where they want and see if they can punish him for chasing. So I'm really curious about that. I think the power ceiling and how the approach handles the ACC are going to be really interesting uh, for the draft future of Seaver King. But a lot of the mocks and things you see right now have him in the first round, and a lot of them have him in the first half of the first round. So barring some sort of collapse, it doesn't really feel like Seaver King's going to fall out of the first round. I do think the defense, let's talk about that for a second. I do think the defense is important to figure out where in the first round he goes, especially in a draft that doesn't have a lot of really great defenders, especially in the infield. Bazana and Weatherholt have mostly played second base. You're going to see them play a little bit of short this year, but you don't. Saver King could theoretically be the first shortstop off the board if he plays shortstop. He's an above average defender. He's played a lot of center field. He's played some second base. The speed is 65 or 70 grade or so. The question here is, can he stick at shortstop or is he going to be a second base in center field option? I think that'll also, if he can show that he could stick at shortstop potentially at the major league level, that might genuinely help him go off the board in the first half, if not one of the first shortstops off the board, period. So we'll see what happens there. In just a minute, there's three different pitchers who are projected to be first-round picks out of Wake Forest. We'll talk about these guys next, right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. You can get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. It's $150 if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams. They've got quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and shoot your shot with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Okay, so looking at the pitchers with this Wake Forest team that may be first-rounders in 2024, You have to start with Chase Burns, okay? So two seasons at Tennessee was the number one most desired transfer in the transfer portal this year and went to Wake Forest. In his career, 35 appearances, I almost said minor league, 35 career appearances in college, 22 of those were starts. He did spend some time in the bullpen in his first two years, both of them, at Tennessee. 13-5. and with a 3-5-4 ERA in 152 and a third innings. 217 strikeouts for Chase Burns to 47 walks and 23 home runs allowed. Now, was I think better his freshman year than his sophomore? And you saw 
Tennessee not really know what to do when he struggled last year. And so I think that's part of the reason why you ended up seeing Chase Burns at Wake Forest. Everydayers who have watched this show know and understand that uh, Wake Forest has a pitching lab that is not only one of the more prominent pitching labs across college baseball, but one of the more prominent and respected college baseball la- uh, pitching labs in the sport, right? A, like Major league teams have sent guys there. Anthony Volpe famously went to the Wake Forest pitching lab to get more arm strength and better better mechanics on his throwing before he took over at shortstop for the Yankees because that was the question on Anthony Volpe was, could his arm make all the plays you needed at short? So they presented him, they used the TrackMan data and presented him with a plan on how to improve what he was already doing. And from what everything that's been written and it's been said and podcasts and everything, that was one of the big influencing factors in his choice to go to Wake Forest. The stuff he does, the stuff is good. And to me, a lot of this comes down to developing that third pitch and then getting more consistency with the entire arsenal. So for Chase Burns, it's a dominant fastball, right? Sits in the upper 90s. uh, Like prior to opening day for college baseball this weekend, some of the reports from spring have been that he's hit 101 on that fastball in spurts. He's not sitting 101 all game, but... He's sitting upper 90s. He's touched 101 in spring scrimmages. And he pairs that with a hard slider. It's got some pretty good spin to it. And it's some two-plane break. So it's mid to upper 80s, 85 to 87 or so. One of those pitches that is going to dart down and away from a fellow righty. And then obviously break in on a lefty. And the inability of a lot of pitchers to land a pitch like that to a lefty, I think is something that hopefully he's able to work on and one of the big differentiators for him to be one of the first pitchers off the board this year. Because he's got a change up, it's not necessarily great, and the control isn't really there of it. But if you look back at these Wake Forest teams and the draft picks that have come from Wake Forest, which we'll talk more about that in the third segment, You've seen some really good changeups come out of here, most prominently Rhett Lauder last year. And I think that a lot of that comes back to the pitching lab and comes back to not necessarily giving everybody a changeup, but understanding biomechanically what a guy can and can't do when it comes to pitches. Is he a pronator? Is he a supinator? Is he a backspin guy? What type of breaking pitch works with what he does well naturally and biomechanically? And then let's get that pitch to be the best version of itself. So identifying that pitch and then improving that pitch is really what Wake Forest, I think, is good at. It just so happens that some of the guys they've gotten have been guys who were uh, not prone, but biomechanically, it was ideal for them to throw a changeup, and so they got them into really good changeups. He does have a, a curveball as well, one of those bigger kind of loopy curveballs. Doesn't throw it a ton. That's another option. A pure vertical breaker would give you a weapon that should work against both lefties and righties without having to worry about bringing it in on a lefty versus a righty. So I'm curious there. But Chase Burns, let's see what happens. Josh Hartle is another guy that could be the first lefty off the board. It's down to, from what I've been reading, 
uh, and seen a lot of boards and things like that. Uh, Jack Caglione out of Florida is a left-handed pitcher. If a team drafts him as a pitcher, he's probably the first off the board. But if they draft him as a hitter, then Josh Hartle has a good chance of being the first pitcher off the board, uh, depending on what Hagen Smith of Arkansas does. Uh, so last year, 18 appearances, 17 games for Josh Hartle, 11 and 2 with a 2.81 ERA and 102 and a third innings, 140 strikeouts to 24 walks and 11 home runs allowed. He is very good with control, and the stuff isn't necessarily overwhelming. And I think that's the big question we have to figure out for Josh Hartle is what is the ceiling on the stuff? Because it looks right now he is a sinker slider guy, but he might be one of the better versions of a sinker slider guy in college and worthy of a first round pick. So the fastball sits in the low 90s. Lies game action last year, he was touching 94 or so. So not overwhelming velocity. Yes, we do give lefties a little bit of additional grace on velocity, a tick or two below, but it's still not anything great, right? For his slider, he's throwing a sweeper and obviously a really good version of a of a slider can get more swing and miss a lot than a traditional slider, but also significantly prone to platoon splits. Now to counteract that, as every lefty should, he has a changeup that is his number three pitch. It's his, you know, obviously, it's his, his best off speed. It's his primary non-sinker slider pitch. He's got that. And then he does occasionally throw a curveball and a cutter. It's a vertical breaking curveball. And then the cutter, I really like the combo. I think I've mentioned this on the show before. I really like the combo of either a sweeper and a cutter or a sweeper and a gyro slider. Because the idea here would be out of the hand if a batter is trying to sit slider. Both of those, for the most part, are going to present out of the hand the same as the sweeper. They're going to also look like sliders. But the movement on them being different movement from what the sweeper does allows you to get, you probably don't get as much swing and miss. The gyro slider probably gives you a little bit more. But you do get bad swings and suboptimal contact. So I really like when guys combine these things. Uh, there's been a little bit of talk from spring practice about he may, like Josh Hartle may have added a four seam fastball. And so that's intriguing because obviously then you have the ability to, to elevate a four seam fastball to go with everything else that you're doing, which right now, a sinker, a sweeper, a changeup, cutter, this is really a lateral game. You're working side to side. And if you can add a vertical option in the fastball, the four seam fastball, or even get that, that curveball to be better where you're comfortable using it at the bottom and below the zone. That gives you another element of the game for Josh Hartle. And then where's the velocity going to settle in, his, in this next year of college? If he can add a little bit more velocity. If that sinker goes from sitting 92, touching 94, to sitting 94, touching 96, I think for a lefty, that's a more pronounced difference than you would expect from just two mile an hour difference, right? Once you get up to that upper, not bound, but that upper range of velocities, any little bit 
has a more pronounced difference than going from City 90 to City 92, right? So, curious to see what he looks like there. The control's really good. The pitchability is there. His sequencing's always on point. He really knows how to use the arsenal to attack. So, if you can improve the arsenal and add more options to it, it really gives you a higher ceiling for Josh Hartle and can submit him as not only a first-round pick, but probably the first left-hander off the board, depending on how you feel about Jack Caglione of Florida. In just a minute, one more pitcher to talk about, as well as some of the draft history of this school and some of the concerns we have when trying to evaluate these guys. We'll discuss that next, right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Game Time. Uh, buying tickets can sometimes be frustrating because there's all the like all these online apps work differently. None of them give you the info that you need, or they are complicated and hard to work out because you order the tickets and then you have to get them delivered. All of this stuff. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. It is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. You see the view from your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you get there. You get an all-in price up front, so you're getting a great deal before you check out. You buy tickets in seconds with two taps on the app, and they deliver them directly to your mobile device. And what's best, the game time guarantee. You will always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section, and row for less than what you're paying with game time, they will credit you 110% of the difference. It is the it is one of the best ticketing apps in the country for a reason, and I love this ticketing app for because they make it so easy. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, use code locked on for $20 off your first purchase. Get create an account, redeem code locked on, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. For $20 off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Okay, final segment of Locked MLB Prospects here on a MLB Draft Wednesday. And looking at the third pitcher and the fifth player that could be taken in the first round for Wake Forest, right hand pitcher Michael Massey. And he's a little bit of a different profile from Josh Hartle because obviously lefty versus righty, but Massey's also. A massive person. 6'5", 245 is what we're seeing in the early spring reports on Michael Massey and his physical development that he's done. He got in 27 games last year, but only one start. He was almost exclusively out of the pen. He went 3-1 and one with a 2.59 ERA in 41 and two-thirds innings. 76 strikeouts to 16 walks and 6 home runs allowed. So the question here is, one, what has the physical development done to his stuff? At the end of the year last year, the fastball was sitting mid-90s. There is reports from spring and from fall that he's touching 98 or so. How much can he maintain that velocity throughout a start is really interesting here. Some of the induced vertical break numbers that we're getting are very good after being adjusted for college. I'll explain that in a second. You can't always take college track man numbers as gospel, minor league numbers as well. I'll explain just a second. Now, to go with that fastball with great induced vertical break, uh, the slider sits in the low to mid 80s. 
It, it's mostly drop, right? So it's, it's going below the zone and it's late movement. But what I love is it tunnels really well off the fastball. They look exactly the same halfway to the plate. Fastball stays up and farther up than you think it's going to because they induce vertical break, whereas the slider drops below the zone. I want to see what his changeup does this year. Didn't look that great. Didn't throw it a ton. Didn't need to. He was working in relief. But I want to see what the changeup does this year because he's got great deception. It helps all these things play up velocity perspective, movement perspective. The tunneling's good. So the presentment of everything is uh, hard to pick up for opposing batters. What does the changeup movement look like? How consistently can he land it for a strike? What does the velocity do? And then there's some workload questions, right? He, did, he threw 41 and two-thirds innings last year. He was working in relief. If he is, correction, he is one of the three starters. These are the three starters for Wake Forest. We know that now. What can he do from a workload perspective over the course of the season? Does that extra physical development that he's done, does that go into stamina? Does that go into velocity? Like, where does that manifest? Or both, right? Now, I mentioned the induced vertical break numbers and some of the difficulty with TrackMan. If you've been to a major league ballpark recently, or next time you go, walk down during pregame behind in the areas behind home plate and find the TrackMan scanners, right? They're pretty far away from the plate. The issue you have with college track man, and to a lesser extent minor leagues, but really college track man, is the measurements of where everything is set up isn't consistent like it is in the pros. And the big thing is the track man is, in some cases, significantly closer than it is at the major league level. And the velocity really comes out the same. Like That's not that tricky. The place where you run into trouble is on the movement numbers, the horizontal break, the vertical break numbers for the pitches. They don't always translate correctly when the track man uh, scanner is physically closer, significantly physically closer to the plate than it would be in a major league ballpark. Now, track man, from what I understand, is working on ways to adjust this to make it read correctly, but... That is something you have to keep in mind. So we struggle with that a little bit when we're looking at college prospects is you can't always trust the track man numbers. There are some schools you can't trust their radar gun, and I'm not going to name names. University of Florida is one of those, but that is a little bit of a complication you sometimes face when dealing with college prospects is understanding the how if those are correct or not. Also, the dimensions of this ballpark mean that it is easy to hit for power. If you thought Cincinnati played in a small ballpark, and we call that Great American Small Park, David F. Couch Ballpark in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, is 310 down the left field line, is 300 down the right field line, and is around 365 to 370 in both power alleys. And the fence has been lowered to only 8 foot. They also play on AstroTurf. So even ground ball guys, the ball is quicker through the infield. It is harder to play defense on turf. It is easier to get ground ball base hits on turf because the ball moves so much faster. It is also easier for speed to play up on turf. So there's a little bit of difficulty sometimes when it comes to evaluating some of these prospects because the measurement devices that we have 
aren't necessarily made for these tiny Lego ballparks here. And the field conditions, the fields themselves, are smaller and different material than you play on at the major league level. So that makes some of the difficulties. And then for this team specifically, they lost a lot of talent from last year's team. Wake Forest had nine players drafted in the first 10 rounds last year, including two first-rounders and Rhett Lauder and third baseman Brock Wilkin. Lauder was number seven overall to the Reds. Wilkin was number 18 overall to the Brewers. And he's a guy who hit 31 home runs last year. And then they lost a bunch of other members of this rotation and pitching staff. Sean Sullivan was a second-rounder to the Rockies. Seth Keener was a third-rounder to the White Sox. Teddy McGraw was a third-rounder to the Mariners. Camden Minasi, one of their key relievers, was a sixth-rounder to the Angels. And so you're adding in a lot of pieces. Again, I mentioned Seaver King was a transfer in. A couple other transfers came in. So you're rebuilding on the fly with a team that intends to compete for a national championship. They were in Omaha last year. They're the consensus number one team right now. Combined with the fact that you're doing it in a tiny ballpark, you're doing it on a field that is incredibly fast to play on, and our measurement systems aren't perfect because they're designed for a standard-sized ballpark and not a tiny little a tiny little college ballpark that has a 300-foot wall or a 300 a wall that is 300 foot away that's only eight foot tall. But either way, it is entirely possible for this team to have five first round picks if everything goes right for Wake Forest in 2024. So we're not going to do a, a Wednesday show on every single college, but Wake Forest deserved their own show on an MLB Draft Wednesday because they are, because they're going to have so many first round picks or they could have so many first round picks. A couple more fun shows this week. We're going to talk Rookie of the Year odds. FanDuel has those out now. We'll discuss National League, American League, and then some of the top pitchers because they never get a chance to win this thing. And reminder, if you have questions for Monday's mailbag, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked On Farm. We've got email. We've got a Discord. It's all in the episode description. It's all in the show notes. There's a link tree down there with links to everything else. Until next time, remember, it's always a great time to pay minor league. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 